Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Um, yeah, I'm Mikey, and I've been part of CCM now for a couple of years, uh, well, pretty much a couple of years, but I think um, the last few weeks have definitely been the weirdest of the time uh, which I've been here, and it's been weird in so many ways, but I think one thing I found really weird, I don't know if um, this is the same for those of you who are Christians who are listening in, is I found it weird to relate to God, um, so I know that this social isolation has brought challenges for myself and um, things have been difficult at times, um, especially when it comes to like, trusting God and having hope in the future. And like, I know it's important for us to trust God and hold on to the promises of God. Um, but I feel that as social isolation has like, changed the way I view um, like my aliveness, I feel that like every day I'm just kind of getting through. And as a result, I feel I've had a really difficult time relate God's promises to my day-to-day life. And I don't know, um, I found Easter this year really, really strange because it like, it was last week and it was just so great to remember Jesus' death and resurrection, but I found it much harder than usual to think about how this affects my present lifestyle because the present is like so bizarre, just not As I've been looking at the passage in Isaiah, which we've been going through, um, Mikey, we're having there's having some issues with your sound. Could you just try? I'm just thinking. Uh, most important thing is that we can hear you. Could you try perhaps turning your video off and see if that improves the quality of the sound? Um, sorry about this. Um, is this better? That does seem to be better. Why don't you Why don't you carry on and let's see Let's see how that how that works. Um, sure. Um, yeah, so I was just talking about how I found Easter just really strange and how, yeah, it was, I found it really bizarre. And, but looking through the passage in Isaiah, which we're looking at today, I found that a lot more, yeah, quite helpful for me as I, as we pick together these themes and think about how we trust in God in the current situation. And hopefully as I share um, from this passage in Isaiah, it will be really helpful for all of us. And I'll be able to share a couple of things which might be useful um, for you all. And as Josh was saying, we've been going through this series in Isaiah, um, which is part of the Old Testament of the Bible, um, written over 2,500 years ago. And it was written to God's people at the time, the country of Israel, um, written by this guy called Isaiah, and it's a collection of his writings and his talks. And at the time, the nation of Israel were under a lot of pressure of the threat of invasion, and they were really scared of the nearby nation, the empire of Assyria, which was coming to and it had invaded lots of nations um, which were bordering Israel. And a couple of weeks ago, Josh preached from a passage in Isaiah where Isaiah was challenging the people of God about where to put their hope. Um, the people who were so scared of Assyria, they were putting their trust in their own um, like military strength or their alliances with other nations. And Isaiah was saying, no, 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 um, put your trust wholeheartedly in God because God's the one who's really powerful. And last couple of weeks ago, we were thinking about how that message applies similarly to us today. When I know that um, we can lose trust of God's power, when we see what's happening in the world, 
I know I have loads of questions and sometimes I can find it really hard to trust God wholeheartedly. And a couple of weeks ago, Josh was preaching and he encouraged us to remember God's promises in this and that to keep us going. And today's passage comes soon after. So today's passage is Isaiah 32. And it comes soon after what Josh was looking at. And um, it is one of these promises of God. It's an incredible promise of God that he made to his people. And it touches upon similar themes uh, to chapter 30. And hopefully, as we, um, which Josh was looking at, and hopefully um, through reading this passage, um, we'll be able to think upon one of God's promises. And as I share some ideas from it, it will hopefully help us to think about how it affects our lives in the present. So I'm going to read um, Isaiah 32, verses 1 to 8. If you've got a Bible in front of you, that'd be really useful so you can follow along. But otherwise, just listen in. So I'm going to start Isaiah 32, verse 1, which is, um, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each, one, each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. The fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honourable. For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy of iniquity, to practice ungodliness, to err concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, and to deprive the thirsty of drink. As for the scoundrel, his devices are evil. He plans wicked schemes to ruin the poor with lying words, even when the plea of the needy is right. But he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. This promise of God um, is just an incredible one. And in verse one, it establishes the theme. It's talking about a future king who's going to reign. Um, and it talks about the features of his reign. And I think there are two main features. There's so much, but there's two main features that come out. And I'm going to split up into two parts, one in verses one to four, and then another in verses five to eight. So I'll spend a little bit of time looking at each one. And then after that, I'll think about a couple of ways which this might affect us in the present. And I guess the first um, thing I want to look at is these verses one to four, which talk about what this kingdom, which this king is going to reign in, what this kingdom is like for those who live in it. Um, if verse one begins with this pro- incredible promises of a future king of Israel, a king whose reign is described in verse one as being righteous. He's reigning in righteousness and has people under him who reign in justice. Um, it's this wonderful picture of righteousness and justice. And this keeps going throughout, this theme keeps going throughout this passage. Um, verse two talks about how um, this rain is going to have protection from all kinds of natural dangers. It talks about wind and storm and drought and how, and there's repetition of like all kinds of different natural difficulties that um, these people, the people in this kingdom are going to be protected from. I guess keeps repeating this theme that basically there's going to be protection for everything. Um, the people who are part of this kingdom are going to be protected by this king. And not only that, but verse three and four talk about how the people in this kingdom are going to be be transformed. It talks about those who can't see, their eyes are closed, but then they're able to see that those who um, hear will make sure they pay attention and their people's feelings and their speech will also be transformed. And you get the impression that the weaknesses of the people in this kingdom is going to be transformed and made into strength. And again, the repetition of verses three and four, all kinds of different things, seeing, hearing, feeling. That kind of just gives this impression, the idea that everything about these people, everything about um, the, the, 
their feeling, their way of relating, is going to be transformed completely by this king. There's this wonderful image of security, justice, and transformation. And I think as I read this passage and as I looked into it and read other people talking about this passage, um, this promise of the future, I believe, is talking about Jesus, um, who we, and Jesus is the king, which is promised here. Um, in the Bible, we call this a prophecy. And especially in the Old Testament, you see lots of these which are like promises for the future that will eventually be fulfilled. And I think we know this is talking about Jesus because eventually um, the people of God, the Israelites, were taken, uh, were, would no longer have a king. Their country was eventually a few hundred years, in the, within the next few hundred years, their country was destroyed and they would no longer have a king. And in the meantime, none of the kings they had were anything like this. They didn't um, fulfill the promises in this way. They didn't bring this kind of peace. But actually, many years later, um, as we read about in the New Testament, in the other Bible, Jesus came and brought justice and righteousness. Um, one verse which talks about that is um, Luke 4.18, where Jesus quotes from somewhere else in Isaiah and is talking about himself. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. In that verse, he talks about themes which come through here. He talks about bringing sight to the blind and bringing justice and freedom. And throughout the New Testament, we see this image of Jesus bringing this kingdom of righteousness and justice. And eventually he does set up a people on earth who nowadays we call the church, the people who follow God. Um, in one sense, we believe that these are um, part of Jesus' kingdom on earth already. But I think that actually, um, whilst Jesus has set up his kingdom on earth in a part, I think these verses in, one in Isaiah 32 uh, actually are talking mostly about, um, are still talking mostly about something which is yet unfulfilled, something which is going to happen in the future, um, something when Jesus, when, which will happen when Jesus does come back and ultimately reigns over his people in a wonderful, glorious kingdom. And I think as we read Isaiah 32, 1 to 8, even now in 2020, we can still look forward to a future where this is eventually going to happen. Um, so that's verses one to four, one to four, thinking about how wonderful, righteous, and how run, how wonderfully righteous and just this kingdom is. But I also want to think about verses five to eight, which think about who is going to thrive in this kingdom, the people within this kingdom, who are they, and what they're going to be like. So I'm going to read verse five, which summarizes verses five to seven, which says, "The fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honourable." Um, Isaiah here talks about these two, these groups of people, the fool and the scoundrel, and says that they're the people who aren't going to be seen as important in this kingdom. They're not going to be seen as noble or honourable. Um, they're not going to have high social status or have good street cred or anything like that. Um, and the reason for that is given in verses six to seven. Um, these are people who love doing what is wrong, and they and they love to do what's called what is called iniquity, things that God doesn't like. Um, and in particular, the example of what they do, which is so wrong here, is the way they treat the poor and the needy and the vulnerable in, the, in society. Because they plan to commit wrong and do evil things. And verse 6 talks about the way in which they ignore the hungry and the thirsty. They, um, don't, they don't help fulfill their needs. In fact, they take away food and drink from these people. And then verse 7 talks about how they ruin the poor. They go about um, ignoring them and actually like trampling upon the vulnerable in society. Even when that's what's just, they completely ignore justice. They just don't care. 
And in contrast to these people who don't care in verse 7, Isaiah talks about verse 8, which is the people who do thrive in this kingdom, the people who do have pride of place in Jesus' kingdom. And in verse 8, it talks about the noble people. Uh, my version says noble, but I don't know if your version says generous. It's the people who care for the others and look out for those who are in need. And those are the people who do stand and have pride of place in this kingdom. And I think those are the two main characteristics of the kingdom. Um, which we have. In verses 1 to 4, it talks about how wonderful it is for the people who are in it, and the reign of justice and transformation and security. And then verses 5 to 8 talk about the people who will thrive in this kingdom, um, which are the people who are generous and noble, and living um, for the needs of those who are poor and needy, not those who trample upon and take advantage of others. And so looking at this, I feel like uh, when I read a passage like this, um, there are two main ways which Isaiah wanted his people to respond and which um, we can respond as well. And I think the first one is that, especially when you look at verses 1 to 4, but the whole thing um, is have hope and relief. Um, this was, must have been so much hope for the people in Isaiah's day who followed God, because they would have been looking to God and just been wondering what was happened. They'd have been seeing all the difficulties and dangers around them. They'd been so afraid and worried about their security as a nation. And to have these promises that, it's not going to be like this forever, but that one day God is going to transform this, whether it be in their lifetime or not, that one day God's people were going to be secure and have that shelter from the storm, as is mentioned in verse 2. must have been such a joy for them. And I think in many ways it's the same for us today. Um, when I look at the world, it's right for that we, our hearts break and cry out to God that this isn't how it should be, because there is so much trouble and injustice out there. But this passage talks about what God really intends for humanity. I believe he does have his reasons um, for letting things in the present be how they are. But ultimately, we read from this passage that this isn't how God wants it to be like forever. Um, this description is so different from our current world. And this description is something which will happen in the future. And this is God's ultimate plan for his people. Um, and just like there's going to be righteousness and justice, there's going to be protection from natural disasters. It uses wind and storm here in verse two, but I imagine that also talks about like disease and uh, the, all the other dangers um, and troubles which we're seeing in our world today. And it's just a massive source of hope um, for the future, and definitely I think affects the way we see the present. Um, I don't know about you guys, but. I know I have found mental health at times in the last few weeks really tough. And especially I sometimes have a tendency to spiral, um, feeling really overwhelmed by the situation in this world and feeling like it's going to happen forever and that God doesn't care. And like, I just know it's, I know it's not easy in these situations, but reading of passage like this shows us that we just don't need to despair because we know that God does care and that God is in control and that he will one day make it right and bring an ultimately just future. And as a result of that, we don't need to despair. and We can um, live wholeheartedly for the future kingdom. Yeah, we don't know what the next few months or even years is going to bring. But I think this passage reminds us that God is faithful. Um, and yeah, like I said, we don't need to despair. And I think that's the, Isaiah's main message to his listeners, especially the ones who followed God. But I think this passage also in, um, serves as a challenge and a warning, and it can do for us too. Um, one of the main themes of Isaiah throughout the book, as we've been thinking about in the last couple of months, is a warning about impending danger and punishment 
but the people within Israel, especially those who weren't doing what was right and who were taking advantage of the poor and the needy. I think especially verse 5 to 8 serves as a challenge to these people. Um, as, as Isaiah speaks, as he proclaims this to people, he um, wants them to turn and wants um, those people who are living the fools and the scandals as it's described in verse 5, he wants them to not live like that way anymore. He wants them to be challenged and reminded that actually they're not going to be honoured in the kingdom of God unless they change, unless they um, live like verse 8 and care for the poorest and most needy in society. And I think verse 8 is people who we should aspire to be. I mean, there's so much more to say on this. Uh, loads of books and talks have been written and given about how to care for those who are most needy in society. But unfortunately, I don't have time to go into detail about this now. But I guess the one thing I just re-emphasize um, is the importance of making all our decisions to support the neediest in society. All the decisions from what we buy to what jobs we take and where we live. Um, let's try and live in the light of Jesus' kingdom. Even now, I know we can't leave our houses um, but we might be able to support people in need financially um, and support the weakest and poorest in society in that way and think about that. But there are, like I said, there's so many other ways to think about it and lots of good stuff has been written and spoken about it, which I don't have time to go into, unfortunately. And so I think those are the two main things which Isaiah is challenging and talking to his audience about. Um, not to despair. There's no need to despair because God is ultimately in control and one day it won't be like this forever. And then secondly, to want to live in a way which does care about the poorest and the neediest in society, which does care and live in a generous and noble way. I think those are the two main things which come out here. Um, but before I wrap up, I just want to say uh, one more thing, which is that um, when I read verses 5 to 8, especially when I read verse 8, when I read verse 8, I'd love to just say, um, yeah, that's me. That's totally me, verse 8. But I know it's not. Like, I know that there are many situations in my life where my heart doesn't break for those in need as much as it should, and that I do take, make decisions that take advantage of the poor and needy. I eat food and I buy clothes and I travel and entertain myself in ways that aren't in the best interest of the most vulnerable in society. And I feel really challenged about this when thinking about a passage like this, and I'm sure uh, many of you do too. And this one is to encourage us. Um, before we seek to live in a generous way, we first need to come to God and say sorry. Because it's against him that when we treat people unjustly, actually we're singing against God as well. Um, if you've never turned to God before and do and turn to him and said sorry for what you've done, actually, I'd really encourage you to do so because we know from elsewhere in the Bible that God will accept you. Um, so turn to him and say sorry to him and live for him and he will accept you and be, you can be a part of this kingdom. Um, but for those of us who are already followers of God, Actually, even then, saying sorry for what we've done is a really, really important part of living in Jesus' kingdom. And so it's, just, it's an important spiritual discipline to keep doing. And so I'd encourage us to do so and to say sorry to God when we feel challenged about something. And then after that, to then live generously and seek to apply this in our lives and live in a way which cares for the most needy in society. Um, because we know Jesus has come and already a part of his kingdom has been set up, like I was saying earlier. and in this, um, us as his people should reflect that. So finally then, to summarise, um, to, to um, yeah, summarise what I've said, um, the people in Isaiah's day, as they would have heard Isaiah speaking about this, um, they were hearing promises about Jesus coming in the future. And whilst Jesus has already come and set up his kingdom in part, actually we see, read this passage, and I think we can see this as a promise 
in the future, which is definitely going to happen as well. Um, because one day Jesus will come and set up a kingdom in all its power. And I think it's something which, as we look forward to that, um, the messages for us are much the same as the messages for, us for those in Isaiah's time. Um, you don't need to despair, but actually we can live generously and live in a way which um, cares for the needy in society. Times are tough right now. I know they are, um, but I believe in a God in control who will one day bring about a wonderful future. And so for all of us, um, for those of you who know Jesus, um, I'd encourage us then to live in the light of God's kingdom, live wholeheartedly for him and be ambassadors for Jesus here on this earth.